0: Hello everybody and welcome to our next instalment of the myths and questions in the Jeremy Bamber case. Once again I'm joined from Jersey with Heidi Hawkins. Hello Heidi. Hello Yvonne, it's certainly sunny over here. Lovely to speak to you again. And it's lovely to speak to you Heidi and hopefully we can resolve some more of those myths and questions today.
1: So what forensic evidence have the police found to
0: link Jeremy to the murders? Forensic evidence, there is absolutely no forensic evidence whatsoever to link Jeremy to to the scene, to the crime. Like I said earlier, he had no marks on his skin, no marks on his arms, on his face, on his hands, absolutely nothing. He had no no blood was found on his clothing or his footwear. there was just absolutely nothing. So nothing whatsoever. So nothing like. in a car, nothing in a bicycle, no, nothing in the took, house. Nothing. They took sweepings from his car, nothing, no evidence in the car, no evidence and They tested jeans bicycle to see if the mud on the wheels matched the mud in the fields that would have been the route. No, nothing, no match whatsoever. No cycle tracks. Because we- they did say that Jeremy's means of escape was, he jumped out of the kitchen window, he pulled it down, he banged the side, it then got locked, jumped on his mum's bike, rode across the fields, right to his house in you No, know, over ditches, over turrets, over these, you know, harvested fields, midway through harvest. Nobody saw a thing. Um, and, and, then, and then he supposedly rang the police. I'm sorry. You know, there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever. No blood on Jeremy, nothing to link him to the crime at all. There was a fingerprint.
1: But anyway, found, why would
0: Supposedly found on the rifle. So, but Jeremy had been out shooting the rabbits earlier that evening. So why wouldn't this fingerprint have been on the rifle? Absolutely. I think
1: um, the fingerprint evidence, had it been Jeremy's and blood would have been absolute positive confirmation. But there isn't anything like that.
0: Absolutely. I mean, there's 252 photographs. Apparently, what well, is its police will disclose of fingerprints and marks on the pages of the Bible? So had even one of those fingerprints been Jeremy's, that would have been in the court. They'd have gone, Jeremy's fingerprints in the Bible. Jeremy's fingerprints. On his mother, Jeremy's fingerprints is on Sheila. Nothing, absolutely nothing.
1: Absolutely nothing. Yeah, it's looking more and more that the police had very little to go on in evidence. No forensic evidence. They can't place him at the scene, really. You know, it's, it's not place shocking, him at the scene. Quite shocking. Quite shocking. But, um,
0: the whole case is shocking. But people say to me sometimes. Oh, it's really complicated. Do you know what? It's not complicated at all. The case is it was a murder-suicide. The case is that Sheila had a psychotic episode and murdered her family at some time during that evening after 3.26 in the morning when her dad rang the police.
1: Well, and, but one, one, other, one other question that I've been
0: asked. Oh. Which is... Oh,
1: which is this sounds like it
0: could be interesting.
1: Which I completely understand. Did Julie Mafford have something to do with this? Or does somebody else have something to do with this to help Jeremy?
0: Now, this is the question I also get asked of. Firstly, regarding somebody else, because some people will say, oh, it was the people who found the silencer who did this. They had motive?" You know, and that, get, that just get raised with me quite a lot. The only people that the police and the judge and everybody sort of like, said it was like either Sheila or it was Jeremy. There has never, ever been a question of any third-person involvement.
1: So we've got, you know, Julie and Mugford possibly being involved, but we can dismiss that. And yet she was the one who actually said that somebody else was involved and it had been paid off by Jeremy to kill his parents. But yes, she was adamant she that was the case, and yet it was completely disproved. So where did she get that idea from?
0: But it's not the only Made time that Julie Mugford did it.
1: Congratulations!
0: <laughs> it's not the only time that Julie Mugford did it because in two thousand and two, when it was uh, Jeremy was at the appeal and she, she was interviewed by the police, she actually told them that she suspected Brett Collins now as being involved, Brett. and it's like. She didn't really like uh, Brett though. already tried to implicate one other man. So does she want three then innocent men in jail? You know, she's already, Jeremy's already been convicted on her lies. So, and was she involved? She wasn't involved because Jeremy wasn't involved, but she was involved to the extent that she, these lies of hers were just spiralled out of control. If she would have been told by Jeremy a year before that he was going to poison everybody, he was going to burn the house down, he was going to shoot everybody, all these different scenarios she came up with. But then on the night, he supposedly rang her and gone, oh, it's tonight or never. It's like, really? She didn't, if that had happened, would she not? have rung the farmhouse and said, you better get out. Jeremy's cracked up. Get out of the house. Would she not admit an anonymous phone call to the police and said something's going to happen at warehouse farm tonight? Can't tell you what it is. You need to get there.
1: There are so many opportunities. Of course you, know you would.
0: That. Of course she would. True. I mean,
1: but why would you? You know, you you say, well, he's saying these things, and she believed him, or she didn't believe him. But still, if you're with somebody who's thinking about doing that sort of thing, it's, you know.
0: It's not Would good. you stay with somebody who's no, even talking no, about no, things no. like that? I think,
1: I think most people wouldn't. It'll be a little bit scary, a little bit worrying. A little Maybe bit scary, it'd be, be terrifying,
0: wouldn't it? If yeah. you if you're in a relationship with somebody who's supposedly saying, Oh, I'm gonna go and kill my mum and dad, I'm gonna make sure so I kill my sister as well, and them kids, and I'm I'm gonna drug them all. Oh no, I walked out, I'll burn the house down. It's like and then,
1: reply. And then suppose, support that person actually and support, support that
0: person and then when
1: you maybe have really a little rethink
0: her, and, you know after happens, he was it, and after he finished with the relationship yeah, like, with her it's like you know maybe she did reconsider and think oh, do you know what I shouldn't really say that about Jeremy I'm just making it up I know I say it was a hit man Ridiculous. Yes, because none
1: of it, nothing came out until Jeremy had actually finished with her. And then the story Absolutely started to Absolutely nothing. nothing. Jeremy and helped
0: her, her move flat. He helped her move flat the day mm. before. In fact, this is another myth which we can correct at this moment. Okay. Because the myth is that Julie went to the police. Now, Julie didn't go to the police at all because what happened was that Julia, when Jeremy had finished the relationship, she was distraught. She wanted to be Mrs. Bamba. She was wanted to live in Vaulty Manor. She was devastated and so she said to her friends, oh, Jeremy's finished with me. And then her best friend said, oh, you best shot of him anyway because when you was away on a working holiday last year, I had a one-night stand with him. That was her best friend, which then incensed Julia McFadden even more. So then she's coming out with all these stories to her friends. Oh, well, he told me he did this. Oh, well, he told me he did that. It bothered Liz Rimmington, who was her friend, that much that she went to her ex-boyfriend, Malcolm Waters, and said, you need to listen to what Julie's saying because she's like, I'm a bit worried. She's saying all this stuff about Jeremy's in these murders, you, you need to listen to what she's got to say. So Malcolm they, they took Julie to Malcolm's on the 7th of September, and she blurted out all this story to him. And Malcolm said, You need to ring the police. Now, Liz had been saying this for a week. You need to ring the police. I'm not ringing the police. You need to ring the police. No, I'm not. So for the past week, she'd been that friend Liz had been telling her to ring the police. Malcolm says to her, Julie, you need to ring the police. Have you got all this from the newspapers? No, not any of it. No, Jeremy told me, Jeremy told me, you need to ring the police. I'm not ringing the police. Malcolm Waters rang the police. And he reported that he'd been told this story. And the police went to his house and um, arrested Julie Mufford and Liz and took them into custody to get information so from them. And that's what actually what happened.
1: All these things that should have been known at the time of the trial, you know, the accurate story of what happened, you know, it's only come out later on.
0: But well, it's even too so coincidental
1: to suddenly claim this. You know, no, and I, I wonder if Jeremy hadn't got hadn't said it's over, she probably would have stayed with him. Of course
0: she would. With that knowledge, she, she, was, she wanted to be lady of the she wanted to. Really. You know, this... I'm not saying she didn't love Jeremy. she loved Jeremy to the point of obsession. And yeah, she like she said to him, if I, I, I'd, you know, but she tried to smother him with a pillow and said, well, if he was dead, no one else could have him. Okay. Well, she certainly made sure that happened, hasn't she? Because Absolutely. you know, he's on a whole life tariff and certainly can't have relationships like he would have had had he had been outside. So She she came good on that promise, didn't she? Yeah,
1: Yeah, and it's very difficult when you start to lie, um, you know, to backtrack and say, oh, I lied about that. It's such a massive thing to lie about. So she's got herself tied up into a knot there, I feel. We've we've got um, uh, another one here, which is, is quite an interesting one. It's to do with Taff Jones, the original police officer, Um, who actually made the decision that it was a murder-suicide, which is what everything in that building looked like when he went to have a look. And he's been portrayed as a very shouty Welshman. You know, like he's losing his temper every five minutes and not the brightest one, you know. Um, But he doesn't sound a very nice person. And yet there was an article in the paper after the drama came out, and his own police colleagues said this was an inaccurate description. They were quite upset that he'd been described in this way, Well, he'd been portrayed as this, this very shouty, you know, silly policeman that you know, that, that made the, the wrong decisions and yeah. came to the wrong conclusion. Uh, and yet all the evidence, of course, uh, has come to light since has shown that in fact, he was right, it was a murder-suicide.
0: Sadly he passed
1: away, I understand he passed away in an accident at home not long after. You know, he was taken off the case.
0: It's quite tragic. And, it is um, very tragic. And I
1: mean... So what was he like
0: then? From all accounts, he did have a bit of a temper when he wanted to, but it was when people just wouldn't listen to him. So, you know, he he was one of the first officers at the scene. It was him who looked at the windows and said they were all locked, they were all on their captures. It was like, you know, something's happened here or oh, this this young girl with a raffle and, you know, he knew it was a murder-suicide and he was... But then this brings in Stan Jones again because he was, like, you know, not the hero that the drama portrayed him to be, but he was, like, he'd have the argument with Jeremy, he was, like, didn't like him. And he was, like, no, something doesn't seem right. And even if he didn't think something seemed right, he was so pursuant and relentless in... Hunting down Jeremy for, you know, trying to make Jeremy the perpetrator, that he he had his finger in every pie. Did Stan Jones? He was like, when anyone was wanting to be interviewed, he made sure he was there, and he always had a very active part in what was ongoing. So, but Tough Jones would lose his temper, um, particularly once he lost it once with Eaton. And uh, this was, Indeed. yeah, this was um the day after the tragedy. No, was sorry. This was on the 9th of August when uh, Anne Eaton and David Bowfly and Anthony Partridge went to see the police and say, you know, we don't, we don't think it was Sheila. The Anne's scribbling away on her little note cards and Taff got cross and said, "Put them away." So she was like. She said that he went red in the face and there and was very shouty. Um, whether it was or not, I don't know. We've only got her word for that. No one else said that. Um, but she did say she felt that they would get thrown out of the building. But, I mean, it's like anybody in life, isn't it, when you've got people who, no matter what, you're giving them the facts and they turn around and they go, no, don't believe you. you reach a point where you go, will you please listen to me? No matter how patient you are, so, and I know officers were upset in the way that um, Taff had been portrayed in the drama. So they know him; we we never knew him. So it does show judge a, certain,
1: by... a certain amount of affection towards him because they haven't actually stated that anybody else was mis portrayed, but this particular officer is the one that they obviously felt was really wrong in what they'd done in the drama. And um, that he was nothing like that, or else they wouldn't have said anything. But this is it, always stood out to me that they've actually gone out of their way to mention this particular officer and that it he wasn't yeah. like that.
0: Which and um, the thing is, they approached so the media, it wasn't the media that approached them, so that speaks volumes when yeah. Yeah, it's them making the approach, isn't
1: it? It makes a massive difference. Well, we've got a, a, another one here, it has to do with Sheila. Um, she she's on medication. Um, but it's been said that she couldn't even put beans on toast. That doesn't mean she's a bad cook. It means that she wasn't capable <laughs> of doing it. So, so how could she possibly have fired a gun? How, how could she have loaded a gun if she couldn't even put beans on toast?
0: Well, Is that's that another myth. No, it's another myth of, of the relative's creation. Sheila's psychiatrist, Dr. Ferguson, prescribed her with two medications, The first was haloperidol at 200 milligrams every two weeks. But because Sheila kept forgetting to take it, this was administered by intramuscular injection. The second medication was called prosaclidine. And this was to counter any of the side effects that the haloperidol would have. And one of the side effects was shaking. However, Sheila couldn't have suffered from the shaking effects because she asked for the procyclodine to be stopped. She also requested that her dose of haloperidol be reduced. Dr. Ferguson, who was her psychiatrist, said, okay, yeah, we can reduce it to 150 milligrams fortnightly. So everyone seemed happy with that, except when she was given her an injection in the July. So this is 27 days before the tragedy. Sheila was given her, what now known to be her final injection, which was only 100 milligrams of haloperidol. And oh. instead of being fortnightly, as it had oh. been, it had to last her a month. She should have been there two weeks later. So um, 13 days prior to the incident at White House Farm, she should have had her next injection. But
1: that never
0: incorrectly, it had been changed to, fort, to monthly rather than fortnightly and halved rather than 50 milligrams knocked off. So in effect, her medication was only a quarter of what it should have been. And when they did um, blood analysis tests in the post-mortem and they did um, serology tests and everything, and they tried to establish like, the drug content in Sheila's system, she had a minute trace. Veil of her in her system. She just—it was virtually nothing.
1: Yeah, but you know, perfect. and she'd been on such a huge it's dose,
0: two hundred milligrams every two weeks, to be cut it's to one hundred milligram every month. It's a massive. I mean, any drug you have to be weaned, even when you're reducing oh, a yeah. the dosage, They do it very slowly. They do nowadays. They do it very slowly, very carefully. A few. Milligrams at a time and it takes a long time to get weaned off medication. Where Sheila's was like 200 milligrams every two weeks. Bang, now, right, you can have 100 milligrams every month. That is a huge difference. Minimal
1: amount in her bloodstream, not really doing very much. Definitely, you know, it's the perfect storm again for a psychotic episode to take place. And, and um, it's, said, said, it's, been, it's been said it, that um, Jeremy, Jeremy must have drugged Sheila so that she was docile enough to keep in the same position um, in order to kill her.
0: Exactly. But there and were no drugs course, found.
1: She would have had to step, to step over.
0: The... Been drugged. And of course, she would have had to step over. Had, had it been Jeremy, he would have had to... Say she'd have been in a bedroom. He'd have had to take her out of the bedroom take her over the body of her mother in the doorway and say, lie at the side of the bed. Well, not a chance. Not a chance. She had no alcohol in her system. No. She, I mean that, you know that's another factor because, you know, tests were done for old all, all drugs. She had no alcohol, she had no, no drugs except the trace of Hilllaperidolle and her urine test came back with a, a trace of cannabis which she had at the weekend before, while she was at Collins. Yeah. So, no, she wasn't drugged, she wasn't sedated, she wasn't... It's just. And only... yet,
1: and yet um, it's also been claimed that she didn't know how to use a rifle. Therefore, how could she, with her long fingernails, you know, load this, this massive, you know, heavy-duty rifle? In actual fact, it wasn't a very heavy-duty rifle, it was a very low-caliber rifle, you know, used for shooting rabbits. So it's not going to be um, a shotgun where they wouldn't have a rabbit left. It's actually a very small bullet, very easy to load. And Sheila had already apparently been shown by relative how to use a shotgun. Had gone on shooting parties in Scotland. So, Is that clear? Uh, Sheila had also been a
0: beater on the farm. I mean, the that. farm Neville held shoots. You know, your grouse shoots and everything every year. There yeah. were shoots sort of on at the farm. And um, Jeremy and Sheila have been involved in them as beaters where you're beating the ground, the grass, so that the grouse or the wood pigeons or whatever fly up so you can shoot them. So both, they've both been around guns all their lives. You know what I mean? They're, they're in the farmhouse. They're not locked away in a cupboard, which is also another myth. They were the cupboard that some of the guns were kept in didn't even have a lock on it. There were guns all over the house, yeah, on the staircases.
1: And an, a covered under the stairs. It's not, as, as a gun cupboard, you would expect it to be specially made. You'd expect to have a lock on it, but it was nothing like that. Absolutely no. you know, It was very, you know, everybody trusted each other with it. You know, the guns lying around the property, nobody was- It was just an a cupboard. ...use one inappropriately.
0: But was, Sheila didn't uh, know how to use the guns. I mean you know, she'd been on a shooting holiday with David, she'd done the, you know, she'd been out on various hunts, she'd been around guns all her life, and as you say, a point semi semi-automatic rifle, which mm-hmm. means that you wouldn't need to cock it and reload it for every shot, because the bullets are in a magazine, and yeah. the magazine, I mean, a lot of people say that she oh, she'd had long nails, and they were she would have, she wouldn't have been able to do it. Of course, she would have been able to do it.
1: You know, oh, it's very okay. easy
0: to load the magazine. That's another misconception. It's not Sorry. you know, it's not something that gradually got harder, as Fletcher said in his analysis, because they make a magazine to hold 10 bullets. So why make it hard to load 10 bullets? You know, if it was could only load I eight, think... then yeah, it would I'm be meant for eight. A... And I think when you when
1: you have long fingernails, you adapt anyway. Going to adapt because otherwise, you wouldn't be able to do anything in life.
0: <laughs> Maybe you couldn't <laughs> you know, put you know, beans you know, on toast. Be to <laughs> Maybe that's why she was <laughs> have no, really to, to do the beans toast because <laughs> she had a long now
1: We're coming towards the end of our questions now, I think, for today. Um, of course, with me being in the social media side and you know, campaigning and all that sort of thing, is quite relevant. So, if you look around in the media, social media, you'll find that a lot of people are investigating the case or working with Jeremy. You know, it's it's quite a considerable number. Um, So how does all that work with our campaign, with the legal team and submissions and all that side of things? So how does this all tie into Jeremy's case?
0: Yeah, it's true How I did that. There there are a lot of people who um, Jeremy talks to independently and they carry out their own independent investigations. So... They're not part of the campaign team. Uh, We are very focused. We have um, access to all the documentation and everything. That doesn't mean to say that others aren't also assisting Jeremy because they are um, the right to him and if there's a particular issue he feels that they could help with then uh, he will approach them. Um, But there is only one official Jeremy Rambo Innocence Campaign and they are are the team members who you see on our website. Um, I'm the only person who actually works with Jeremy's legal team. Um, so please don't get confused. I know it can be confusing when you see in reports in the media that uh, an ex-policeman is assisting Jeremy and uh, you know that a, a scientist is assisting Jeremy and this, that. Uh, everything that goes through the official campaign um, is, is the official route. And is involved with the current submissions to the Criminal Cases Review Commission. But like I say, um, I know it can be confusing, but it's just in a reflection on how strongly people support Jeremy. That there are so many ways that people can help him. Um Absolutely. You know, and he will discuss his case with these people, and sometimes he'll he'll put us in touch with these people because we can give them further information, or we can provide evidence to them so they can conduct their independent investigations. Uh, Is always open to ideas. You know, if anybody approaches him with ideas of maybe this or could with that, or do you want just to look at this? So, you know, if anybody out there feels that they would be able to assist him, then by all means make an approach. That's absolutely fine. So anybody, you know, who's got any contributions to make I mean whether it be a supporter writing a letter Jeremy's just so grateful to everybody for all the support that he gets and for your belief in him and your belief in his innocence because at the end of the day we will prove Jeremy's innocent we will prove that in the courts and we will see Jeremy as a free man so it's like I said a few weeks ago um,
1: um, they're, they're patrons um, and um, supporters as well on our website who who have do a lot of work in the background and um, massive support to Jeremy. And, um, Absolutely, you know the, the, we've got you know you've got several people like barristers and all sorts. All saying Jeremy's innocent. Now they're not not going to stick their necks out unless they really believe it. They haven't just picked up a you know, newspaper and gone, oh he's innocent. They've actually looked into this. Yeah, they yeah, have, and um, you've got people like who are very, you know, happy to speak out about um, things like the withheld evidence, and, and a great support there. He's also um, speaking on on uh, the issue of the withheld photographs. So we have a lot of support from people, you know, Absolutely. and um, actors, actresses who who willing to speak on some of our videos. You know, the support is amazing. I don't think
0: people realise how much support Jeremy has for his innocence. Well, it? well it's he's not because spoken he's about innocent, very- isn't it? It's, uh, you know, but I, I want to make people aware that, you know, if anyone does feel that there's something they can contribute with and that, and that, you know, they might have skills that, you know, in certain areas that would benefit the case, would benefit Jeremy. Please write to us, write to Jeremy. You know, let us know what you think, what you you know, what you believe you can do. If, uh, if you have any information that you'd like to share with us, it will be kept strictly confidential. Um, you know, we don't, we, we don't go tittle-tackling, telling people, you know, we've been told this, and we are very, very reserved, and we are very, keep information confidential. Um, if there's any ideas you've got that you want to run past Jeremy, please write to Jeremy, let him know. If it's something that he thinks is worth pursuing, he will he will advise us, he will tell us, you know, how he thinks you can assist him. And so, you know, don't be shy at coming forwards. That's what we're saying. If if there's any way that you believe you can you can offer help, then please do so. We're always open to new ideas and suggestions. Now's the time to do it,
1: really
0: absolutely on the brink
1: this is this is the time to really speak up if you're a witness if you were there if you were there at the time it's all in confidence we're not going to spread this around if you don't want us to talk about it at all that's fine it'll be treated in complete confidence we're not going to broadcast anything um you know without your say so it's all very confidential and um you know if you've seen something that's been bothering you since the case happened um, since the incident at White House Farm, come forward. You know, you can make such a difference. and um, Don't hold it in. You know, come forward and and, and you can talk to us. And um, we'll treat, you know, the situation that if we think it's something that's necessary, we'll help you through it. But please don't hold it in. If you know something, come forward. We're here for you to
0: listen. Absolutely. Well, thank you,
1: people. Thank you for asking me today.
0: Thank you very much for your time, Ade, And... We, um, No doubt we've got a lot more myths and a lot more questions that we will be able to address in a future episode. So thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. Okay. Bye-bye.